and welcome to episode 95 of Christians in Our Soup, a weekly podcast by two of God's peculiar people, about God's peculiar people, for God's peculiar people, proving that life is simply not as black and white as some would have us believe, but that sometimes life gets real and doesn't fit into any boxes, no matter how hard we try. So welcome everyone to this week's show and coming up I'll be chatting to a friend of mine from here in North Wales whose ministry takes him all over the world when restrictions allow of course and gives him the opportunity to share the gospel where few are given that chance. Nate Usery works for mission organisation Bethany International and you can find all the links to their social media feeds and the website in this week's show notes. I started off by asking Nate where he was born and brought up. Well, I was born uh, in America in a place called San Diego, La Mesa Hospital. It's right near the Mexican border. And then I grew up the majority of my life in uh, Los Angeles. Oh, wow. Yeah. So would you describe yourself as a city dweller at heart? Yeah, city dweller and um, West Coast, USA. Yeah, yeah. What brought you across to England? I got married uh, to a Welsh lady and we decided to move to the UK. Was that a big cultural shift for you? I was used to living in different countries and I think when you're prepared for living in a place with a different language and culture, I did cross-cultural studies at university, you're expecting it. Yeah. So you're prepared. I think because the UK was English speaking, everything in my mind, you don't need to prepare much because sure. yeah. you understand English. Yeah. But the things like the dates are the other way around. And if you write a check or you do some document, you could get it wrong. Those kind of things, uh, building permission for houses or other kinds of legal things yeah. can be different. Yeah. yeah, sure, sure. So you don't ask for help and then that becomes a problem. Yeah, yeah, indeed. It's interesting. I mean, you'll be aware and the listeners will be aware that uh, Anne and I have recently moved back to Wales, um, having spent a few years living here about 10 years ago. But 10 years away and then coming back, we've noticed a significant difference in the culture, even between England and Wales, uh, in terms of pace of life, in terms of um, how people interact with each other, that sort of thing. Did you notice those sort of things, especially, you know, having been uh, born and raised in a city, um, did you notice those sort of things in terms of pace of life and that sort of thing when you came to Wales? Yeah, I think everywhere has a different pace of life. And we lived in the Balkans in Southeastern Europe, uh, Croatia, and the pace of life there was very similar. Oh, wow. Uh, I think Italy has a laid back culture and so forth. The difference here though is in the evenings and in the mornings, things aren't open. So uh, the shops don't open at six in the morning, most sure. of them. And then most of them don't stay open until 11 or 12 at night. So 
yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. yeah. If you have laid back time and you have things that are open, it's more um, conducive for meeting other people. Yeah, sure. Let, let's step back a little bit. I mean, you've told us about the fact that you got married and it was your marriage that brought you across to the UK. But talk to us a little bit about your actual upbringing in the States. What was your upbringing like and your schooling like? Yeah, so in the States, um, I was born into a middle class white neighborhood in Los Angeles yeah. in the 70s, early 70s. And by the time I got to my teenage years, it was the worst gang time in Los Angeles. So wow. I think LA had the most gangs. Um, it was quite dangerous, uh, certain parts. And we did live in one of those parts that transitioned from a nice, let's say, place to yeah. a little bit more dangerous wow. um, place. And then I went to a Christian high school in a very nice area in the hills. It wasn't Beverly Hills, but it was where they filmed Beverly Hills 90210. Oh, okay. You know, yep. The TV show. Yep. So it looks like Beverly Hills. The people act like they're in Beverly Hills, but <laughs> it's uh, a small area where it's easier to video. And so I basically had very rich friends and I had very poor friends and inner city friends. So that was my upbringing really in the city. And, and in terms of your schooling, would you describe that as straightforward? Yeah, I think I'm not sure all the reasons my parents decided to send me to a Christian high school, but I think one of them was primarily for safety because yeah. they would do. There was a lot of gangs and drugs and violence. And then also not many, I don't want to say white people, but in a way there weren't many white people. So I'd been a minority. So yeah, I had no problems in the high school. It was a good experience, yeah. Fantastic. And you said it was your parents' choice to send you to a Christian high school. Were your parents, are your parents Christians? Yeah, so um, my father was a pastor um, and my mother was teaching at a Christian school, grade school. So I went to the Christian grade school where my mother was teaching and then went to the Christian high school. They might have had a discount for pastors, kids uh, yeah. to go to this high school. Um, yeah, so I grew up that way. What, what was your first experience or your first memory of church for you and of there being more to life than just living? Yeah, as I said, I was taken to church from the time I was a baby because my parents were running it. Sure. And um, I think for me, uh, my earliest memories are my earliest memories is that's what it is stories at night when you're a little kid and um, and I think to me it was a little bit like Santa Claus for some kids you know how they get stories at night some are true some are false and but I just believed the things that they told me um, yeah I was young yeah. Sure, sure. For you, and, and our journeys of faith obviously are all very different. For you, is there a particular date and time that you can pinpoint when you came to faith? Or was that a gradual journey, you know, where you started off not and you finished up being a Christian? Yeah, I think, like I was saying about the Santa Claus thing, there does come a point when you get a little bit older, you stop to believe, believing in Santa. And yeah. there's, uh, for me, it was when I got older, 
I started to question, but is the God that my parents told me about uh, just the story that they've come up with or yeah. the group of people in America, or is it even something bigger that the country or the political system wants people to believe? Be good because if you're bad, you'll go to hell, you know, and if you're good, you can go to heaven. Just a way to like have less violence and a better uh, society. So for me, that was around 13. I was, well, I was 13 years old and it was a crisp, um, New Year's all night service at church. And Spirit of God just revealed to me all the things I had been taught as a young person. And it, it was like a revelation in a way for me. And it was shortly after that, that I then got baptized. I mean, I accepted Jesus that night and then I would say that summer got baptized. Wow. What was, what's your memories of your baptism? Well, my youth pastor had a swimming pool. So oh, we wow. had a lot of um, people. I think it was maybe seven or eight of us that got baptized that day. And some of them are still friends today. Yeah. Fantastic. Now, earlier on, you talked about the fact that it was um, the fact that you uh, you married uh, that brought you over to the UK. Um, fill us in a little bit on the background with that. How did you meet your wife? Yeah, so I had uh, graduated in international business, marketing. I think my plan was to make money and so forth. Anyway, one time I had another spiritual experience when I was about 20 one years old and i think it was primarily if you at 13 give everything that you have to god it's yep. a skateboard maybe some video games <laughs> yeah yeah that that's what it is you haven't really done that many bad things most people by by the age of 12 and you just that's it well at 21 it's different you know you have a job you have money you have different kinds of things so i had a spiritual experience then when i was early 20s and it was basically what i heard was learn more about jesus which i already thought i knew but get to know him more and then uh, do what he says you know and so for me the learning more was going to a bible school and that's where i met my wife and then the actual practicing it out my faith would be going to the mission field as a missionary. Sure, sure. So yeah, we met at Bible school basically, and we both had already had our university degrees before we went there. Yeah. So what was it then from the point of your marriage that prompted you actually to come to the UK? You mentioned a moment ago in terms of doing the training, learning more about the faith that you already had leading to the mission field. Did you see, do you see um, the UK and Wales particularly as the mission field or as part of the mission field? Yeah, I mean, I see everywhere as God's world. Um, yeah. Of course, there's different, you know, things like uh, unreached people groups there's uh, unsaved and unreached and i think sometimes people get it confused so an unsaved person is basically someone who hasn't come into god's kingdom yet right but there might be a church down their street or they might have access to the bible or to other believers where like an unreached person has no church no bibles no other believers there you know yeah. so wales is not like that of course Indeed. 
but um but there still are a lot of unreached um or unsaved people yeah. around the world yeah. yeah sure and i think to answer your question about how did we get to wales i mean yeah. originally we were in uh, the Balkans after the Bosnian War, which you might be familiar with, and we were caring for the orphans and the widows of the war. Then we started youth projects amongst the poor because we realized in order to help people, you need laborers. Jesus said, yep. you need laborers. So you can only help on your own a few people, but if you have a lot of people, you can help a lot of people. And so it was training these young people with the principles of Jesus. And then they were going out and helping the poor also. Fantastic. And when the kids grew up and when the time came where we just felt we needed to come back to the UK, yeah. I was a little bit wanting to stay. My wife was wanting to come back. I thought it was primarily because we had young kids and so forth. But it turns out that we were doing a lot with reconciliation work from, because the war, different sides were fighting. Sure. And then because we were based in the country, Croatia, everyone assumed we were for the Croatians. Right. In the conflict, right? It's yeah. like Israel and Palestine now. Sure. If you live in Palestine, they'll think you're for them. If you live in Israel, you're for them. And, um, so by moving to the UK, we sort of became more neutral in some of these, um, let's say, country conflicts. And then we found out that people from all of the countries started inviting us to go there and help with the visions God's given them for their countries. And then we would go and help them do that. Fantastic. So was that with a particular organization or was that something that you felt God calling you specifically as a couple to do? Yeah, we joined a mission organization, Bethany International. It's called Bethany Gateways is the mission part of it. And um, but they were able to let us, I don't want to say go undercover, but it's like we, we didn't have to say, oh, we're missionaries, you know, right. when we yeah. went to the place. Um, like when they asked Jesus, what do you do? And yeah. then he said, yeah. hey, come and see. So he didn't want to like give them an answer that then they say they like you, they don't like you, stay, leave. He wanted to actually show them and give them an experience. That's what we tended to do was less speaking, but more, okay, you're interested in what we're doing? Come yeah. and see this work with the poor or come and see these young people or come and see this other project. Was that the organization that you were working with when we first met? Because for the listeners, um, we first met uh, somewhere around 2009 through uh, Roast Family Church uh, when Anne and I were living up here previously. And I think by that time, I'm right in saying that you were already established in a ministry that kind of takes you all over the world. Was that the same ministry? So we have been with Bethany International since we got married. So for... 21 years almost now and the thing is bethany has partners and partner organizations around the world so we partnered with other organizations in croatia in serbia in bosnia in uh, even the us other places so there's these partnerships so i'm not sure yes we were with bethany when when i met you the first time uh -huh. but Probably we were doing the work 
in the Balkans with um, one of the projects there. Right, right, okay. Is that something that uh, you've kept a link with or has that now moved on? Yeah, so I could give you an example of some of the projects. Um, so one of the projects was called Renewing Our Minds. Yeah. And it was started by Life Center. So we partnered with Life Center, which was one of the organizations caring for the orphans of the Bosnian War. And then we started this thing called Renewing Our Minds or ROM. And we got a house that was could sleep about 70 people. And then wow. we invited people from all of the bordering countries around the conflict to come and live together. Well, you're going to have atheists, Muslims, Orthodox, Catholic, all different kinds of people there. Sure. And then you'll have different nationalities, maybe 15 different ethnic groups yeah. there. And uh, so during this time in the house, week one would be kind of discussing what did Jesus, when he talked about friendships, what was were these friendships like? So ultimately, the stories of Jesus and his friends and what they did and what the world could be like. Yeah. And then week two, what is your life like? Like, what have you experienced in your life? Then people tell their stories of the war, of the conflicts, of the bad that they've experienced. And then the final week is kind of like, well, you've seen what Jesus said to do. Uh-huh. Um, you've seen what the reality of where you live is. Now, what are you going to do? Are you going to just continue as normal? Are you going to try to follow Jesus and yeah. so forth? So it's kind of like a three week program. That's the way it worked. And it was amazing to see how many of these young people started following Jesus through attending wow. this time. Yeah. And many of them, those young people are now the leaders in their countries, either of the churches, the aid organizations, lawyers, members of parliament and so forth. Fantastic. I'll come back to those connections in just a moment, but talk to us a little bit about how you found it working with folk from so many different faiths, from different nationalities, different cultures, having all of those folk in one place. How was it to work with that um, that mix of different folk all in one place? Yeah, I think it goes back to my story of my childhood, growing up in the city, there were people that spoke Spanish. There were people, all the different ethnic groups from the city, you know? So you had friends that were of all different backgrounds. Some of my best ones were Asian. There's Mexican friends, all different kinds of friends. And then the levels of um, where they are economically, the private school people, the movie yeah. stars, all the way to the, the poor and almost homeless. So um, I had those experiences and then with the gangs and um, dangerous neighborhoods and then the safe neighborhoods. So when you had an event and I had people from all different backgrounds, it wasn't as shocking to me as it was to the majority of the people that were there. Right. Yeah. When I saw that, oh, the president's son is there or the certain political leader's son is there, I could also relate to them in a way. And yeah. I could relate to the, the ones that were in other situations. So yeah, I, I think the thing is what we tell them when they arrive is try to not 
talk, especially the first week, about anything you disagree about. So like, or even things that could cause conflict. So it's more like talk to people and try to find out what we can agree about. So you want to ask like, what is your nationality? Or what's the neighborhood you live in? Or any kind of questions that try to box the person. What's, what's your religion? What's your, how much money do you make? All these kind of things. But it's more like, what do you enjoy doing? Yeah. Tell me about yourself. And you're trying to get to know the person and then to like find what's similar. Oh, we both have brothers and sisters and we both like this sport and we both, um, yeah. So that, to build friendship, it's the way you build friendship. And But it is difficult because during the time we did it, no one else was doing it. And um, you had people there that their brother and sister were killed or the they were raped or um, you understand they killed people. Yeah. It yeah, was it sure. was not like, um, what's the problems here? Um, the job's not paying me enough or yeah. some people are making fun of me. Uh, it was more serious than that. Sure, sure. Now, you said for yourself, obviously, because of your own upbringing, um, you were able to relate to, to folk from different ends of the spectrum. What about other members of the team? How much of your work was helping to train other members of the team who were involved in the project who perhaps didn't have the, the upbringing that you had? Yeah, I think uh, I'm friends with some of these people now. Like uh, last October, I was in Serbia with one guy who we met in 1999 and in 1999 if you remember nato forces were bombing belgrade yeah and nato forces include uk and us so it definitely includes me you know uh and i was in the small group with him and he said to me hey look at this and he showed me in the newspaper articles this many people died on the bridge that was bombed and your country's doing this and why are you doing this? Look, we are Orthodox and we've defended Christianity and stopped Islam throughout history from getting into Europe. We're the defenders of Christian uh, Europe in a way. And I, I'm sorry, you know, and I tried to explain that I didn't vote for it, for bombing Belgrade. Like we didn't have a choice. It was our countries that were doing this. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, we formed a friendship that exists to today. And um, now Bethany International, which has uh, Bethany Global University, where Ali and I went, uh -huh. have sent uh, about 12 or 13 students out there to wow. Serbia just this October when I was there. Yeah. So we've sent out young missionaries into Serbia to help sure. out with the work. Oh, that's fantastic. In the beginning, it is hard because... Yeah. Same thing with the the participants from Iraq. They're saying, why? I yeah. could wear, the girl told me, I could wear jeans before the bombing. Now I have to cover my head. Like, So a lot of it was to do with the war, but with other issues too, sure. where the US and America are like power. I mean, the UK, America are powerful countries and they have influence around the world and they either act or they don't act and it causes an effect one way or the other yeah yeah sure 
a moment ago you mentioned the fact that you were still in touch with a number of folk that have gone through uh, the courses that you set up um I think I'm writing saying, um, and, and you've talked a little about it uh, over the last few minutes, uh, that your involvement in the mission takes you to various places all across the world. But it also gives you, um, for want of a better expression, uh, privileged access to maybe some of those nations' leaders. Talk to us a little bit about that as far as you can. I appreciate there are confidentiality issues. How, how has that been for you to be able to have access to uh, the leaders of some of these countries? Yeah, so um, Acts 9.15, I believe, is the verse that when uh, Saul was having the conversion on the road. Yeah. And um, he said to Ananias, this is man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before three groups of people. And most people think, oh yeah, it was the Jews. And then they think, oh yeah, Gentiles. But they don't really know the other one. And the other one was the Kings. And so I feel this calling is also for me that God has made me his instrument to carry his name before the Jews, before the Gentiles and before the Kings. And so ultimately, the main thing is the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Out of the greatest commandment comes the great commission, which is mission, what you were saying, go into all the world, blah, blah, blah. And out of that, you're there. Then you're asking, what do I do when I'm there? And what it is, is to lift up the name of Jesus. So, and it says he will draw all people to himself. So in, for instance, a particular country, when you go there, you talk to people about Jesus, about the things he said, about his principles. And um, it's the same with the poor person. It's the same with black, white, rich, poor, male, female. I mean, Jesus said that in his kingdom, there's no difference between them. And so, that's what I uh, try to do. An example would be like this. I can meet with anyone, even a war criminal. And after five minutes, after a short time, I can find one area in their life where they're doing what Jesus said to do. Sometimes it's very hard, but even a person here in Wales, you talk to them and what I'm looking for when I'm talking to them is, are they doing anything that Jesus commanded us to do? When I find that thing that they're doing, I will say to them, it's amazing that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, they haven't told me they're a follower of Jesus, and in many cases, they're not born again into his family. Then it's interesting to see how they reply. Yes, yeah. And then they'll ask you another question, almost always. Why do you think that I'm following Jesus? Yep. And then you take the one principle of the thing that Jesus said to do, and you say, well, because Jesus said true religion is that which or cares for the orphans, the widows, and whatever. Yeah. And so you're caring for the orphans and the widows. And so you're doing the true religion that Jesus wants us to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. so whatever, it could be simply that they're a person that prays a lot. And then you say, you know, Jesus said his followers, they will pray, you know? Yeah. So it, it's finding one, they honor their father and mother or they do whatever. And so you're finding these things and then you are complimenting them on those things. And what's interesting about it is many times it's like, if you're drinking dirty water, how do you know it's dirty if you haven't had clean water? Yeah. Like if it's the cleanest water, it's only dirty compared to the cleanest water that you've seen before. Sure. Yeah. So what you're trying to do is show them, oh, actually the reason why you probably feel good about this one area of your life is it's actually the thing that Jesus said to do. You don't tell them that, but it starts to be revealed to them. Yeah. And then they'll ask, oh, what's another thing he said to do? And then you can tell them another thing. And then that's how the start of following Jesus uh, goes. So I think when you meet with the a leader or when you meet with anyone, it's to do the same thing with everyone. Sure. In a way, you're treating them like a child, the same way my parents taught me. Yeah. You read, you read the book, you talk about the story, and then um, you try to apply it to your life as much as you can. And then you wait for the Holy Spirit to reveal to him who he is. Fantastic. A lot of what you've shared up to now, the, the, the ministry has had, uh, for want of a better expression, a natural organic growth for you in terms of building relationships one with another. But as that ministry has grown and developed, has it led to you having, um, for want of a better expression, a personal invitation to go and share with a leader or a significant person in a particular country? Yeah. So we have um, basically... In the States, they have a group of people since the time of uh, Eisenhower. President Eisenhower said the White House is, I believe it was him, the loneliest house in America. Right. Well, it's a very busy house. Sure. But what he was saying is everyone has agendas and you don't know who your friend is and you can be alone. I mean, many times even people are at university or they're in church and they're still kind of lonely. And so um he wanted to have a group that could pray together and have spiritual relationship once a week or once a month and then this has continued since then till now and so you have prayer groups in the house you have prayer groups in the the senate and they meet every week and they pray together and then once a year they invite the president to come to the prayer breakfast national prayer breakfast and they, they tell him about the groups that they have that are meeting each week and that are praying about these events. Now, I don't know how many years ago, but it started to become international. So as people traveled around, they were meeting people and saying, oh, come to DC and, and to this prayer event. But then the people themselves started prayer events in their countries. And um, then they wanted to have them events in their country. So yeah. That's what I also did was I met with some of the leaders in the countries in the Balkans in Southeastern Europe. And yeah, we would just meet and talk about Jesus, talk about his teachings. And then they will form a small group that meets and prays every week. And then maybe once a year, they have a big event where they invite other people to come and hear about Jesus. So, yeah, I, I do get 
invitations. I think in the beginning, I would travel with my mentor who had the friendships. Yeah. And then as I got older, I would travel to meet the friends that I already knew, or maybe they were the children of the previous leaders. Yeah. And then yeah. I'll meet with them. Yeah. And so now I, many of them are just friends like you and I are friends or my other friends. We've talked up to now a lot about the ministry, how that's developed your opportunities to share your faith with the folk around you in those particular places. But what about you personally? How has the ministry that you've been involved in right from the start through to today, how has that helped to develop and grow your own faith in Christ? Yeah, that's a good question. I think faith in many ways is about not knowing. Yeah. But being okay with it. So you don't know this but you're okay. And um, I think the more things that you do uh, that seem impossible from a human perspective, your faith grows. And um, I think also the more hard times um, that you have, like Jonah in the belly of the whale, or yeah. all yeah. these kind of stories, then um, your faith grows in the hard times. Yeah. And I think probably people have been trying to figure out for years, how can you grow your faith in the good times? Or how can you avoid pain and suffering, hardship, and grow your faith at the same time? Yeah. So, I don't know. For me, it's been a lot of bad experiences that actually uh, helped my faith to grow. Also, a lot of things that are... I don't want to say miracles, but they're impossible situations. And then you do it and you don't know how it's going to work, if it's going to succeed, if it's going to fail, and then it works. So I'll give you a few examples because it's hard to explain. But one time we were going to Albania and we wanted to invite the leaders of the country to an event we were having. Uh -huh. Someone had given us a name, a list of about five or six people that we should meet to invite. And we get there and we meet, the, we only had the name of one of them. So we asked that person, could we, could you introduce us to the others? Oh no, they won't want to go. And so we just met the one person and we didn't know what to do. And so then we just prayed and we had uh, three or four of us there, four, and we just prayed. And then we were in a hotel lobby and then a guy came, another guy came, who was just a friend of ours from one of the programs. Yeah. And he's like, oh, my taxi driver, he was telling me his wife's a member of parliament. And so then the taxi driver came in and then we met her. Then she introduced us to another one. Then they introduced us. We ended up being there all day. We probably met like 15 to 20 members of the parliament. Plus we met all the people on the original list that we had. And we invited them to the event and they all and they came you know so it was the start of uh, yeah something good yeah yeah and and the other side of that where i mean you, you said yourself a few moments ago that you'd had a number of neg negative experience but those had also helped to grow your faith what what's your initial reaction when you feel that you've stepped out you've done what god has asked you to do but it hasn't worked in the way that you felt it should yeah, this is a difficult one because I'm not saying there's no right or wrong answer to it. Sure. But sure. it's it's like 
even believers have different perspectives on this. So yeah. one would be, does everything that happens in the world belong? Or does everything have a purpose? And therefore, if you believe, I believe everything belongs, you know, but the, I'm not saying even my own wife would believe that or other people with great faith, but it, if you believe everything belongs, then you have to believe everything belongs. Yeah. And, yeah. and even the bad things. Um, but of course, people will ask you a question. If you if they find out you believe that, then they'll ask you the question, why did my child die? Why did this happen? Why does the war happen? Why did this, that, that? But you don't know you, because you don't, it's like not knowing is faith in a way. You don't know, but you believe. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult uh, not knowing the future and not knowing why things happen. But it's like the story of Job. In the end, he, God says to him something like, were you there when I created the universe? And I look after everything, the animals, the all of these things. So your mind can't in some ways comprehend everything that's going on and the purpose for everything. So I think I try not to think I think deeply, but I don't try to think about every single situation and why it happened and why it didn't happen. I think what's more important is knowing what God tells you to do and doing it regardless if you can figure out why or if it was good or if it was bad. The results. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Nate, is there a way that listeners who may have been encouraged and inspired through what they've heard over the last few moments uh, are able to support the ministry? Yeah, there's uh, Bethany International has a website and then you could go on the website and um, it will say like support missions and then there will be a scroll down and you would find our names on there and then that's one way that you could do it. Yeah, that's probably the best way brilliant and in terms of finding out more about uh bethany international you, you've mentioned the website are there other social media feeds are there other ways that people can find out more about the mission i think if you go on the website then there might be links to youtube videos and some of that kind of stuff yeah because they have the bible school they have the mission and they have a few other things yeah that's probably the best way brilliant um we're getting towards the end of our time together, but just, just a couple of questions to close up with, if I may. The last 13, 14 months um, has been unprecedented for many folk around the world who've not lived through uh, a pandemic like we are currently, praise God, seemingly coming towards the end of, certainly in the UK, it appears that way. Um, how has the pandemic situation affected the ministry that you've been involved in over the last year or so? Primarily, the way it's affected it is I haven't been able to travel. Yeah. So there's been a lot less events and face-to-face -face interaction. There's been new things that have resulted, like online meetings with leaders from around the world that pray every week. And so that's been 
very encouraging. Some courses, so I'll tell you some things that have happened like in the last year around the world, not so much in Europe, but these discovery Bible studies, have you heard of them? Yep. Yeah, so where you, you're not converting other people, but they basically read the scripture, say it in their own words, then they, well, what is God saying? And, you know, that's the way it works. And then there's like application at the end or exponential discipleship making. So it's like these small groups, it's what's happened in China, India, Africa, all over the world. These small groups will meet and they'll have these little Bible studies, which essentially are churches because many times there's no church where they live. And then that group itself will start, the people in the group afterwards all start one. Yep. And then from the one they start, it starts one. And that's why you can have like millions of believers in China. Sure. And no like massive church for them, but they're like meeting essentially in homes. Yeah. And in Africa, like some close friends, they've started over 500 during COVID, 500 of these uh, small groups. Uh, and uh, so I think uh, in India, I was in an event where I heard 2,000 of these small groups in a year. Yeah. That's in fantastic. Cambodia, all over. So it's uh, it's something that is working around the world, but yeah. in Western Europe, in America, and these places, maybe not as much sure. because of the traditional church. Yeah. But I think now that people have experienced online things, small groups online, it might be a shift to where people can be open to the idea of like, having a small group in their home where they invite their the neighbor people to come yeah so i think that's the the good thing is about COVID here is people have realized that look there's always been people who don't go to church that are believers and there's always been people who go to church that aren't believers and so i think by taking church out, physical church of the equation for a while, it's been very interesting to see how people grow or don't grow in their faith. Sure. Fantastic. It's, it's brilliant to hear that despite what has been going on in the world, um, that uh, the numbers of folk coming to faith, the numbers of folk exploring Christianity is, is growing massively in certain parts of the world. That's hugely encouraging in what has otherwise been a really, really tough time over the last 12 or 13 months. One final question. How do you see the ministry that you're involved in moving forward? Yeah, I think, uh, as we said, or maybe I didn't say, um, but the goal of Bethany International is to take the church to where it's not and to help other people do the same. And so what do we mean by church? I think everyone has a different definition, but it's like to take Jesus, to take the gospel to the places where it doesn't exist, right? And have these small groups of believers together and then help other people to do the same. So it's not just me doing it it's not just another guy doing it but you're doing it the people you're doing it with are doing it they're doing it and it becomes a movement 
of people doing this. And so the goal really is to go to these unreached parts of the world and to these people groups where nobody's gone. And so it's 7,000 groups or more than 7,000 people groups still exist in the world that yeah. have never heard. Wow. And so how do you get there? They're dangerous places. They're places that are hard to get to. They're place, languages that people don't know. There's lots of obstacles, yeah. but um, this is the plan is to, to take the church to where it's not, to help other people do the same. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I think these movements, I'm hoping to see some of them to take place in Europe. Because I think in Europe that before COVID, I think 27 churches by one group, by one person in a year was like maximum I had heard of in Europe. Right. I think someone told me that Germany's had like some success. My my idea was like was from Albania, but like Germany during COVID, there might have been someone that helped start like 50 uh, wow. churches or more. I can't remember. I don't have the details with me, but these are the numbers. When you think of like the Asian countries, the Africa, it's in the thousands and it's not just one example of it. Yeah. There's many examples of it. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands, millions even of people. And so, you know, this is what I would like to see for Europe is to see a real movement. Sure. Like they had in the Welsh revival times. Yeah. You know, yeah. Something yeah, like absolutely. that. Where there can be not necessarily church buildings on each corner, but there can be uh, people meeting together in yeah. groups. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Nate, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure, not just to catch up, but also to hear about the ministry that you're involved in. And uh, do please be assured of our prayers uh, moving forward. And uh, with your permission, what I'll do is grab the uh, link to the website, pop that in the show notes, um, so that when the show does air, um, folk will be able to have the link to get to the website and find out a bit more about it uh, as well. And uh, if they feel so inclined to be able to support uh, one way or another. But uh, for the time being, Nate, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. And sadly, that's all we've got time for this week. As always, our thanks for listening. And please do share the show on your own social media feeds and with your churches, your friends and your families. Of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, amongst numerous other podcast platforms, of course, where you can subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you could leave us a review, that would be fantastic. You can also find us, of course, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can email the show at Christians in Our Soup. That's all one word, Christians in Our Soup at hotmail.com. And don't forget, of course, you can now check out the website at podpage.com forward slash Christians hyphen in hyphen our hyphen soup. That's podpage.com forward slash Christians hyphen in hyphen our hyphen soup. And you can also leave us your audio feedback there too. Next week on the show, I'll be asking the question, who or what is the yardstick for our walk with Christ? Now, some of you will have noticed the post that I've been putting up on my own personal Facebook feed recently that have pointed to a freedom that I've rediscovered in worship and my expression of faith. And I'll be touching a little on those in the show, but this goes deeper than that. What comprises a quiet time? When should we have them and how many? Who sets your standards in these areas? Join me next week to find out who sets mine and just as importantly, who doesn't? So until we share the airwaves again, take care of yourselves and God bless you all.